Turn with me to the book of Exodus. I want to introduce to you a series that we're going to preach throughout the summer called the I Am. And uh, even as we look at these first few verses of Exodus chapter 3, verse 1 through 14, I want you to see, look to see if you can see yourself in Moses' interaction with God. Because I think you are going to see yourself. Grab the notes in the chair in front of you or maybe the chair behind you. Grab the notes, follow along, fill in some of these blanks as we talk about um, uh, the I am, as we introduce you to the I am. What is it about fire that draws our attention? A couple of years ago, this was happening just at the entrance of our, uh, this was a planned fire. This was on purpose. This was at the top of the S-curves there in Middlebury. It actually shut down the entrance to the housing addition where we live. And so we were forced just to watch it. And I remember standing there as the fire department was, it was, you know, a planned burn. And, and as, as they were burning this, this building and they were using different techniques and, and, and different things. But it was so hard to not look at it. I mean, as, as, as you saw that fire and then you saw this building burning, it's like, whoa, whoa. And I, of course, there, I have memories of going in there back when it was a store and when I was a kid and those type of things. And, and just thinking about all the history in that building and all that. And you just you see that fire, that fire just. And today I want to talk to you about a fire that Moses saw. Moses saw. But imagine if this building were on fire, but the building wasn't collapsing. <laughs> Imagine if this building was on fire, but nothing was being burnt. That's what happened to Moses. So without any further ado, let's grab your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 3. Let's dive into this. And uh, in no time flat, we're going to be to Exodus uh, uh, 3.14. So just buckle up, because here we go. Buckle up, buttercup. Let's go. Verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Let's stop right there for a second. Moses. Now I don't want you to get confused, so I just got to point something out. We've been talking about the tabernacle in Exodus chapter 25 through 40. That was several months after what we're, what we're seeing right here. So as you see, this is the start of it all. This is the very beginning. And Moses, um, he's in this place called Horeb. Now Horeb is another name for Sinai or Sinai. Um, I, I, I learned a new word this week, and I don't know, um, here it is, proleptic. Does anyone, you don't have to, this is rhetorical. Do you know what proleptic means? I had no idea, but I learned it this week, and I'm going to teach it to you. The representation or assumption of a future act or development as if presently existing or accomplished. What? <laughs> Here it is. This was a proleptic statement because notice it says, uh, tending the flock, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb. It says, the mountain of God. At this point, as Moses is just hanging out with the sheep, what stands there before him is just a mountain. But what, what, it, what, what, what the writer of, of Exodus, and, and as, as they share this, they're, they're declaring, but that's, it's just a mountain right now, but it's getting ready to be a really important mountain. It's, it's getting ready to be turned into the mountain of God. 
to call it the mountain of God is that big word I told you. It was proleptic. For that is what it will become when Moses comes a second time. Do you remember that? And he goes up and receives the words from God, the, the commands that God would have for them. And so, so Moses, what was he doing at this time? Um, he was hanging out at the 4-H fair in the, in the sheep barn for 40 years. <laughs> I mean, you know, I... I, I I love going to the 4-H fair, always have. And, and, but when you walk through the animal barns, which some of you spend a lot of time in, a lot more than I did, but I always enjoy walking through, but I always enjoy walking out. <laughs> because I, it makes me so nervous, because you gotta, you gotta walk through, but you gotta watch where you're walking. You know what I'm saying? And, 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 and you walk through there. And so the idea that anyone would spend their whole life hanging out with a bunch of sheep I say his whole life, 40 years, he's, he's, he's shepherding these sheep. And you think about the dreams that Moses had as a child. What did you want to be when you were a child? You want to be a policeman, or you want to be a fireman, or you want to be a teacher, or you want to be whatever it is you dreamed to be. What was it that Moses dreamed? Well, I want to be a pharaoh. Well, I don't know if that would work out, but, but I, I want to be a leader. Or what dream did he have? We have no real idea. But I would guess this. I would guess that maybe his dream wasn't so much, I want to work for my father-in-law, <laughs> and I want to watch sheep day in and day out for 40 years. This is the first thing I want to throw out at you. I think it's in your notes. There are no wasted seasons in God's timeline. I just encourage you with that. There are no wasted seasons in God's timeline. Do you think the day in and day out grind of watching sheep, that it prepared Moses in any way to, I don't know, lead a bunch of sheep for 40 years in the desert? I'm not talking about bad sheep. I'm talking about the Israelites. Do you think anything he learned is, is he thought he was just taking care of these sheep, the rod and staff is leading them, directing them. Was there anything that God was doing in those days to prepare him for his future? What's your thoughts, Scott? Well, where you find yourself right now might not be where you, are, you, where you want to be. Where you find yourself today might not be where you want to be in five years, 10 years, 15 years. But let me just encourage you with something. Stay faithful where you're at right now. Whatever God has put in your hand, accomplish it. Focus on it. Put your whole heart into it. Because who knows that God isn't preparing you with what's happening here today for your future. Note something else. God's getting ready to reveal himself to Moses. God's getting ready to show up and speak to Moses in a crazy way. But did you notice, Moses, it doesn't say he was meditating on scripture. It doesn't say, and Moses was praying one day. It doesn't say Moses was resting before the Lord. <laughs> Moses was just going about his every day. He, he was going about his everyday things. He, 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 was, he was tending the flock. This is the next thing in your notes I want you to get. Find God in the mundane and the boring. Don't ever, ever underestimate what God can do and speak into your life in the, in the midst of changing the dirty diaper. <laughs> really, Scott? Come on. In, in, the, in the midst of that third meeting of the day, I'm about meeting doubt. 
In, in the midst of, of, of whatever it is that you do every single day, you've got your routine, whatever that routine looks like, don't ever negate the thought or the fact that God can speak to you in the midst of that. It, as Moses was just tending the flock, he was tending the sheep, God showed up and spoke to him. And, and if, we don't, if we don't rescue and understand that God even speaks to us in the mundane and the boring, we're going to miss some powerful words of God for us. Now look at verse 2. Okay, verse 2. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that through the bush, Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. Whoa. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. The idea of God showing up unexpectedly is, it's not new to the Bible, right? I mean, you, you can study the Bible and you can see this happened to Jacob, this happened to Ezekiel, this happened to Saul or Paul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus, right? Uh, you, you can even remember um, uh, the idea that uh, God showed up through an, an angelic host. It, was, it wasn't necessarily God, but it was an angelic host showed up to another group of shepherds, right, announcing the birth of our Messiah, Jesus Christ. So God has a way of showing up at times when maybe we didn't expect it. The angel of the Lord in this situation, when you see this, is it, I believe this is a manifestation of God himself, this is a manifestation of God. This is, this is God showing himself, showing up. Every time you see an angel in scripture, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's actually God. In that. But I believe in this situation, I'm not gonna spend time talking any further about that, but there, there have been times when angel, this angel, this messenger, showed up in other biblical accounts, such as in Abraham, Jacob, Moses, Gideon. Samson's father and his mother had experiences like this. So, so even though it, it is out of the ordinary, it's not something that never happened. But note, note something else about the bush. The thing's on fire. And it, it looks as if it's not the angel that captures Moses' attention. What is it? It's the fire. Let me just toss out a thought here. Often before God is able to say something to somebody, he captures our attention through our circumstances of life. Is that not true? When God is, is wanting to speak to us, when God is wanting to teach us something, say something to us, he captures us with something completely different to say, I'm trying to get your attention here. Hello. And often it's an uncomfortable something. <laughs> Am I right? It's often something that I don't, I, I wish I wasn't here. I wish this wasn't happening. But God allows that to happen. It's the thought in, in the book of James. It's this thought in the book of James. Look at this. In James chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And, and as, you're, as you're walking through that trial, you're like, I'm very mature. I am mature. I don't think I can be any more mature, God. Please get me through this. But God allows those events to happen so that we can, he can arrest our attention and we can turn our face to God. Let me ask you right now. Is there anything happening in your life right now that's just like, where did this come from? Could it be that God's allowing that to happen in this season? He's allowing that 
to help, help uh, uh, encourage you, push you, drive you to your knees. And, and just to remind you that, yes, I am there. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Let's go to verse 4. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. It was an emphatic. It was Moses, Moses. It's kind of like in, in Genesis where um, we hear God say, Abraham, Abraham. In 1 Samuel 3, Samuel, Samuel. We could probably add Jesus as Martha, Martha. Simon, Simon. Saul, Saul. I think nothing more important to, to declare here other than, um, than this. I think this is in your notes. The bottom line is this. Whether we're in the Old Testament or the New Testament, when God calls your name twice, you'd better listen up. <laughs> I mean, if God's, it's one thing if he just says Moses. But when he says Moses, Moses, you better listen. And so in, in verse 4, uh, um, we begin to see this interaction between Moses and God that continues on in verse 5. Look at it. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Holy, holy. God's initial interaction with Moses was in his holiness. It wasn't, what's up, dog? (laughs) It wasn't even a flighting. It was, I, I remember... I remember several years ago, I was, I was driving through uh, Wendy's and, uh, and getting one of those Frosties, you know, chocolate Frosty. It's the only way to go. And, um, and so I was at the window. I was at the window and I, and I paid and the guy, he handed me the, the chocolate Frosty and he says, there you go, big dog. How do you respond to that? <laughs> I pulled away and did kind of a passive aggressive whisper loud enough only for me to hear, thanks, big dog. <laughs> God wasn't like, hey, big dog, take your shoes off. <laughs> Set a spell, y'all come back now. He, he, God, God, God was, said, take your shoes off because I'm a holy God. I mean, that was his revelation. That was his initial revelation. Holiness, the place where you're standing is holy. And and God said, take your shoes off. Why did he say that? Well, listen, I did did the the work for you. I studied. I'm not going to go into the whole thing. I came up with four different things that most biblical commentators would say, four different reasons why uh, God told him to take his shoes off. But ultimately, I I don't think it takes a Ph.D., a doctorate, a master's degree, even a, 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 a BA in, in Bible uh, to come up with why God said, take your shoes off. He's a holy God. And it was just out of reverence before God. God says, Moses, take off your shoes. The ground you are standing on is holy. Can I just ask you something? When's the last time you were so moved at the holiness of God? Yes, he's our friend. Yes, he'll never leave us, never forsake us. Yes to all that. But when's the last time you experienced his holiness in such a way in in your own time of prayer or worship 
When's the last time in in a service like this morning where you were so moved by his holiness that you're like, oh, wow. That you just physically, you had to respond. In verse 6, then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The ground you're standing on is holy. Take off your shoes. Moses is realizing, whoa. And the holiness of God is suddenly hitting him, and he's like, who am I? It's like in, in Isaiah's response when he he's had that vision of, of God's print in the, in, in the, the train of his robe filled the temple, and, and Isaiah was like, woe is me. Woe is me. Says, There's a humility that comes over you. And Moses is like, I can't even look. I'm hiding my face. And, and God mentions three, three men. They're, these three men are mentioned because there's something in the experience of each of them that I believe was relevant to Moses as he faced what God was getting ready to ask him to do. Come on, think here, think here. In response to the call of God, Abraham, what, what do we think when we think of Abraham in the Old Testament? He left everything behind and he just set out with reckless abandon to follow God. You think about Isaac. Isaac faced the impossible odds of death itself and experienced a God who did indeed provide and whose promises could be trusted. You think about Jacob. Of the three, Jacob's kind of a knucklehead. (laughs) Maybe we can see ourselves in Jacob. (laughs) Jacob discovered the silliness of living by his own thoughts, his own directives, when he should have been trusting the promises of God. But God says, he says, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. But note it was this identification with these three dudes that God said, "Uh, I'm calling you Moses and I want you to be in that mode that I'm the God of them and I'm the God of you. God had not changed from what he had said to the patriarchs of old. He was still the God who calls people like Abraham to the unknown. He's still a God who overcomes impossible odds to keep promises. And he's still the God who, who, um, who bothers with those who have tried and failed and certainly in the case of Jacob is the God who can, can take the uncompromising material of our lives and transform it to his purpose and to his plan. Can I just encourage you today? When I look at the, the Abraham and I look at Isaac and I, and I look at Jacob and God says, Moses, that's the God I am, the God of those patriarchs, I feel a little bit more at ease with myself because I'm not perfect and you're not perfect. But God says, if you give yourself to me wholly, we say all in. If you go all in with me, I can use it. I just need you to be wholehearted following me, serving me, putting your all into me. I'm wondering if there's anyone here today that God would put in the narrative of those who might live a hundred years from now. If God were to show up and talk to someone like this, uh, 100, 200, 300 years from now, we say, oh, but that Charmin was faithful. Be faithful like that Charmin. Oh, 
oh, that, that, that person, or oh, that person, or that person, or that person. Oh, that Bob, that Bob. He stepped out in faith and did some things that, oh, just. Would, 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 God, would God use your name? I think many of you he would. He would point others and say, have that kind of faith, have that kind of love, have that kind of persistence and just faithfulness. Stay faithful to God. Look at verse seven. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and the Mennonites. No, just joking. <laughs> Verse 9. <laughs> they were in Goshen at that time, so they were already with the Mennonites. And, so. <laughs> no. and, now, and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. Oh, I just, when I hear that, I just kind of laugh. I'll tell you why in a second. But And now, and now... The cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Can anyone remind me how many years the Israelites were enslaved to the Egyptians? 400 years. Hmm. And now God says, you know, I've been hearing a few things over the, I don't know, the past 400 years, but now... Okay, now, now I'm going to move. God decided to move 400 years later. You know, um, uh, personally, it's been 32 years since I heard the voice of my father, my earthly father, Dave Miller. But one of the things I can hear in my, because he went to be with Jesus, but, but one of the things I can still hear in my head, I can hear him say like it was yesterday. This is one of his phrases. He said, waiting on you, waiting on you. As a dad like my father who had three daughters, I completely understand it. <laughs> Love them, beautiful girls. But, you know, sometimes there's this, this waiting on you. You know, when, when I was reading this, I was reading this passage this week, I, was just, I, I heard my dad's voice in my head going, waiting on you, waiting on you. It's almost like the Israelites were there. It's like, oh, even, even after a hundred years, I mean, did they even remember that they're, their God, who their God is. Did they even remember was 200, 300, 400 years? And, and the thing I, I'd just like to point out to you is the timing of God is something that often is difficult to understand. Uh, my mentor, uh, Wayne Benson, he's gonna be with us at the end of July. I can't wait for you to sit under Wayne's ministry at the end of July. Um, but Wayne taught me something years ago. He said, Scott, there's a will of God there's a way of God, and there's a when of God. And you know, for me personally, I can often discern the will. Okay, what's God's will in this situation? Well, it seems pretty clear. The Bible says, okay, this is the will. The way. Oh, I can kind of see how God can make that happen. I could see how God could make the way that he could make that happen. You just think about someone's salvation. Is it the will that, of God that everyone find Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? Absolutely. I know some would debate that. I don't know how, but I'm not going to debate that because God doesn't want anyone to go into a Christless eternity. So what's the will of God for someone to be saved? Okay, there's that. 
there's, there's the will of God, the way of God. Oh, I can see people that are in their lives that could live out the gospel and, and share the gospel with them and be consistent and persistent. And okay, I could see that. It's, it's that whole, it's, it's the whole win of God thing that sometimes, I'll, if I were honest with you, I'd just say it drives me nuts. I mean, God, what are you waiting for? Of course I know. In, in the case of a salvation, that person has to be ready and willing to submit their life to God. But you're just, you're praying, you're praying, you're praying. It's like, oh, there's the will of God, there's the way of God, and there's that when of God. I'm going to say more about this in a second. Um, but uh, but th- there's got to be a, a sense of God's sovereignty and that he is sovereign. And he's working this out. We don't always understand everything that's happening in our lives, but we trust him anyway. Stay faithful. Verse 11, look at verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Moses throws out this first objection. All of us can relate to this. Who am I? In your notes, look at it. In your notes, every healthy God endeavor ought to start with a sense of humility. As you're standing in the altar with the one you're betrothed to, (laughs) there ought to be a sense of, oh my goodness, I don't know if I can do this. It's healthy. Yeah, I don't know if you can, but with God, all things are possible, even marriage. <laughs> you, you trust him. As you hold that little baby in your hands, you know, that first one, I remember our first one, I remember holding that little baby. It's like, I don't know what I'm doing here. I mean, literally, there's, there's just like, it was even beyond humility. It's just like, I feel dumb. I mean, I just... Especially because in my wife, she just steps in these motherly instincts. I was like, I'm like, I don't know what to do. And she just jumps in and starts doing this and doing that. And I'm like, where did you learn this? And she said, I don't know. You just know to do this. You know, God bless you, moms. It's not even Mother's Day, and we honor you today. And and, but I just remember just being so like, how did you know to do that? And here I am, just like, I can't do this. There there ought to be a a humility. When God called us to start a church, or maybe for you to do a new adventure, a new venture in business, or a new venture in in, in your job situation, or career, or uh, do the, the new house, or the new direction, when God stirs, there ought to always be a little bit of humility. It's like, who am I that you would actually give me this opportunity? It's something that ought to be there. Look at verse 12. And God said, I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Keep going, verse 13. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is it? What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? One of my, uh, I, I'm geek. Geek alert here. Um, one of my favorite commentaries that I just got a hold of um, is the Exodus, and exegetical commentary by this guy named V.P. Hamilton. Man, I'm just eating this up. But anyhow, he said this. Moses is focused on who am I? And in verse 12, God will attempt to shift the focus of Moses to whose I am. If he can go from who am I to who's God Am I serving? Who is God? That's the guy. That's what God is trying to do here. God says, I'll be with you. He doesn't rebuke Moses, at least not yet. 
He doesn't say, don't talk like that, you dipstick. He doesn't, he doesn't go all Roscoe P. Cole train on Moses. He, he says, listen, I'll be with you. He simply makes this promise. I am with you. The exact promise appears over a hundred times in the Old Testament alone. I'm with you, Joshua. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. Moses is surely facing a, a difficult, maybe we could say a daunting task but he'll soon discover the dynamic power of presence, and that's God's presence. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here, but God said the I am will be with you. And when the I am (laughs) says he's with you, you're going to be okay. God's response to fear is not to explain it away as trivial, no big deal, but to replace it with another more powerful belief, and that's this, trust in my presence. I am with you. It's like the little girl who is a uh, little girl who's scared to death because the boogeyman's in her bedroom. And the dad goes in, the mom goes in, the dog goes in, everyone's trying to calm her down. <laughs> and the dad goes in there finally, and the little girl says, The boogeyman's in there. And, and he says, Okay, I give up. <laughs> and so he just sits down on the bed and he turns and says, You go to bed. And if the boogeyman's in here, he's got to go through me to get to you, okay? <laughs> little girl falls asleep. Why? Because dad's got it taken care of. There was no sense in denying that Moses' fear wasn't real. It had to be replaced with trust in his father. Rather than explain away his, his fear and his apprehensions and say, why are you being fearful? Hello? God said to Moses, for Pharaoh to get to you and take you out, he's got to go through me. I'm with you. Can I just encourage you today, whatever you're facing today, I just want to remind you, God's with you. God's with you. God's with you. God's with you. Can you see yourself in verse 13? God's promise to Moses in verse 12 was his divine presence, and eventually, you're going to worship. It's going to be great. But that's not good enough. Along with this, with this promise, Moses is like, I want some information here. Maybe Moses doesn't really hear those promises. We don't know. The NIV says it really cool in, here in verse 13. Moses said to God, so God, so God, suppose, let's just suppose. I'm, I'm not saying I will or I won't. I'm not saying exactly what's going to happen here in the future. But let's just, I don't know, suppose. Let's suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. This. Just, let's just suppose, before we go any further, Moses, Moses is saying, God is interested And they ask, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Can we just hit pause just for a second and fast forward the Blu-ray of heaven? Uh, stay with me here. Can you think of anywhere that the Israelites in the next few chapters turned to Moses and said, you know, Moses, freedom from the Egyptians sounds really good. First, I need to know something. <laughs> um, I, I, need to, I need to know what the name of your God is. Here's the answer. No. The Israelites never even asked that. Moses got together with the elders, and, and Aaron came into the picture, and, but they never even asked this. What are you saying, Scott? Do you know some of us have this habit of, of borrowing worry? <laughs> Living in the land of what ifs? Oh, listen, 
I'm going to share something with you I probably shouldn't say, but I'm just going to say it because I'm rebellious. One of the things that drives me nuts about serving in the community in different positions that I have is when, whenever we try to lead out of what ifs, well, what if this happens? What if this happens? Well, we can't, we can't spend our whole lives leading out of, living out of what ifs. Now, if you're an attorney, I understand you disagree with me, but here's the deal. We can't, we can't lead a church. Well, what if, what if all of a sudden the lights fell out of the ceiling? Then we better not put people underneath the lights and because they might get hit in the head. It's like, what ifs? We can borrow. And that's exactly what Moses was saying. What if? I, I don't know. What if they say what God sent you? Well, so um, God then, he, of course, he gives him an, an answer. But before we even get there, who really needs to know this? Who do you think Moses thinks really needs to know this? Do the Israelites need to know this? Does Moses need to go, okay, listen, this is the God that sent you? Or does Moses need to know this? I, I, I'm going to lean towards Moses' needs reaffirmation of who this God is. I'm not going to spend any more time on that. But Moses thinks the Israelites will probably inquire. They never did. <laughs> and, but, but God says um, in verse 14, look at it and let's finish up. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, then the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. The Lord says, I am who I am has sent you. And, and, and for us, I think this is in your notes. It's a Hebrew phrase that indicates action in your notes. From this phrase, we get the word Yahweh. Have you ever heard that word, Yahweh? God was saying to Moses, I want to be known as the God who is present and active. Let me hit you with three, real quick, fill these in, because you're not going to be able to take your Sunday afternoon nap if you have any blanks left. So here it is. Ready? Here it is. Real quick, fill this in. There are three ideas that I want to summarize for you on what this I am who I am means to them and to us today. The first one is this, Yahweh, it's his active presence the God ever-present, ever-active, interventionist for good. In every place, at every point of time, he has always been active. We can feel this, this, this force of this by looking at verse 12, where in reply to Moses' sense of inadequacy of who am I, there's a simple sufficient, I will be with you. I'm active, Moses. Trust me, I'm there. <laughs> It's the idea that when Moses was weak, almighty power and his active presence would be at work. Can I remind you today, church, the I am that I am is with you through his active presence. And then there's his sovereign presence. Write that down. There's his sovereign presence. Moses was given an all-embracing assurance in verse 12, I will be with you, but he had yet to learn that there are things which we may never fully understand about the great I am. His presence was and is guaranteed, but the challenge is always being aware of that presence and always understanding God's sovereignty. This is the when piece of the will, way, and when of God. For instance, when Moses went to the, to the Israelites, he, he got together the, the, the elders, and you can read about it he got got them together said this is what God showed me this is what the I am showed me this is what what's happening and what was their response God led him to go and free those and all the Israelite elders were like we're in let's do this 
Oh, God, God is good. God is so faithful. Thank you, Jesus. Well, thank you, God. Uh, thank you, Yahweh. Just moments later, days later, he goes and he stands before Pharaoh, led by God. And he stands before Pharaoh and says, well, Pharaoh, I just want you to know, this is what God says. God says, let my people go that they might worship me. And I'm sure Moses was thinking, woo, this is going to be great. This is going, this, God called me. God was leading me. I know God's hand is upon me. And so Yahweh is with me. And what does Pharaoh say? No way, Jose. No, we're not going to do that. And, and are there any like high fives? Boy, God is good. God is faithful. Wait a minute. God, why? In fact, we even see, in, in, because what, what happened then is this, this turned into hard labor. It turned into beatings. It turned this, this kind of this wedge of, of alienation between Israel and Moses. And Moses in Exodus chapter 5, verse 22, look at this. Exodus chapter 5, verse 22. Moses returned to the Lord and said, oh, Lord, why have you brought trouble upon these people? Is this why you sent me? Hello? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in, you, in your name, he has brought trouble upon the people and you not rescued your people at all. So what went wrong? Nothing went wrong except for Moses' expectations. By revealing himself as the I am who I am, the Lord had in fact said, yes, I've committed myself to you because, and I'm gonna be actively present with you, but I'm no Santa Claus. I'm God, you are not. I am sovereign. I'll move according to how I see fit. You only need to trust me. And that's a word for some of you today. God brought you here today. God put you in these seats today because there are things happening in your life that you don't understand. And as someone who has followed the Lord for almost my whole life, can I just encourage you with the words, join the club. We don't always understand why God does and the timing of God. But one thing we do know is he is faithful and he won't leave you and he won't forsake you. You stay faithful and stay committed to Jesus. Can I remind you the I am that I am is with you through his sovereign presence and then finally his sufficient presence. When he said the I am that I am, the, the I am who I am, God was saying I'm sufficient. Here's the idea. Whatever circumstance may arise, I will be there and I will be sufficient. The understanding of the divine name accords with the opening promise of the section of verse 12, but it also means that no matter how much of himself the Lord is now revealing to Moses, God's still got some reserves. <laughs> He's all sufficient. God never runs out of strength. He never runs out of power. His hands are not too short. He can always reach and touch you. He's also, so to speak, keeping himself in reserve for what God is yet to do. There is an endless abundance yet to be explored and experienced with God. He says, I am with you, but there's a whole lot more. Often when we think of an umbrella, we think about keeping the rain off of us. We don't wanna get wet, but there's a, a commentator said it this way. We live under the umbrella of the unsearchable riches of Christ, meaning underneath that umbrella, the blessings, the unsearchable riches of Christ are hitting me. Can I remind you, the I am that I am is with you through his sufficient presence. He is all sufficient. And truth of the matter is, he will use you, he will move through you, he will do great things through you, but ultimately he doesn't need you, in a sense. He, he's God. He's all sufficient. Worship team, would you come? This is the God we serve. He's the I am. And this is where we find ourselves this summer as we turn to the Gospel of John. Look on the screen with me. This is where we're going this summer. 
We're going to talk about the I am. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he says, I am the light of the world. He says, I am the gate. He says, I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I am the true vine. And I am not going to be the one preaching this. But the Pathway staff will. And uh, I wanted to take a minute, though, today, well, a couple minutes, let's just face it. Thank you for your patience. But I wanted to introduce you to the great I am. Many of you have already experienced him. If you haven't, today's your day. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins, confess your sins, and put your faith in Jesus Christ today and receive him as your Lord and your Savior. He is a great I am.